0: So please open your Bible to Exodus 35. I forgot to check what page that's on in the Brown Pew Bibles, but if someone could call that out, that would be helpful. 74, page 74 on the Brown Pew Bibles. I want you to, to have this open so you can kind of see what I'm referring to, because we're actually covering uh, six chapters of this text today, but we're not going verse by verse. Now, I get to tell you today that Exodus has a very happy ending, a very happy ending. Everything is going according to plan now. Now, just think back what's happened in the book, in this true story. Uh, At the beginning of the book, the people of Israel were hopelessly enslaved uh, under the iron fist of Pharaoh, calling out to God. Well, God heard their cries. He sent Moses, the Savior, to come and rescue them. He dramatically freed them from Egypt, parted the sea, conquered the Egyptian army. But that was only the beginning, wasn't it? Because then he had to teach these people how to follow him, how to trust him for their daily bread how to trust him for protection from enemies. Then he gave them the law from Mount Sinai where Moses went up and spoke with God and brought back down the Ten Commandments. But even after they said they would do everything God commanded, they fell deep into sin. And for a moment, it looked like everything had fallen apart. It's like that point in the movie where near the end of the movie, you're just not sure how he's going to get out of this situation seems impossible but then divine grace intervened we saw last week how the nation was restored the people were forgiven and now we finally see them doing what God saved them to do God's people are doing God's work God's way now at first glance these chapters are bone dry okay because what are they doing they're building the tabernacle And all of its furnishings and fixtures and all the priestly garments. And that's not exactly the most exciting stuff for 21st century Americans. (laughs) Especially because it looks like the author pretty near copied and pasted most of this material from God's instructions to Moses. It's like word for word, four chapters about the tabernacle. And we think, why? Why the repetition? But you see, this was very, very important for Israel. This was the climax of the story. Because here, they are finally fulfilling God's promise. Remember in uh, chapter 29, verse 46, God said, They will know I am the Lord who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell with them. That was his purpose for saving them, so that he might dwell with them. And the tabernacle was the way in which God's presence could be with his people. So they have this extremely important holy project to work on, and we see them doing it cheerfully, skillfully, faithfully. And when you flip ahead to chapter 40, you see the outcome of this, of this project They set up the tabernacle and the altar and the the wash basin and the priestly garments are on and everything is in place exactly how God wanted it to be. And then it says this, chapter 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. That is the cloud of glory that was on top of Mount Sinai. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This is like overwhelming glory, so thick that he couldn't even go into the tent. God is saying, yes, I can finally dwell with my people, my saved, forgiven people. Can you imagine if you were one of those people of Israel watching that happen, watching the glory of God descend like this thick cloud and like almost not being able to look, and then you think, I made that. I I wove that fabric. I carved those cherubim. I hammered out the gold on that altar. Can you imagine that feeling? Well, we as Christians are also given holy work to do. It's not to construct a physical space or tabernacle, but it's to build up the body of Christ, a much greater work than the Israelites had. And um, listen to how Paul describes that project in his letter to the Ephesians. Chapter 2, verse 22 in Him, that is Jesus, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. See, no longer is God's presence in a, in a physical space, but it's in human beings who know Christ and who are filled with His Spirit. And again, he says in chapter 416, From Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So this is our holy work to build the church of Christ. To see people come to faith in Jesus. To see people grow in faith. To see people learn to live as Jesus wants. This is how the church grows and develops God has given us this amazing work. And there is something far more glorious and wonderful at stake than the tabernacle. That was a preview. That was a foreshadowing. I don't want to miss out on that. I want to be able to get to the end and say, I helped build that. I was part of that work. Do you want to do that? Do you want to do God's work for God's glory? Well, if you do, look at this section, and I want to zero in on three things that we need to know about how to do God's work. Um, there are many things that I could talk about, but I'm just going to focus on these three things. Here's number one. The first thing we need to do God's work is willingness. 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 Look with me at chapter 35 and verse 4. <clears throat> Moses said to the whole Israelite community, This is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen. And then he goes on with like 10 other things they need for this project. Right. And in verse 20, it says this, Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the sacred garments. All who were willing... Men and women alike came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. And it goes on. And finally, verse 26 to 29. All the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. Then the leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Uh, down to 29, all the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord, the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. That word willing shows up quite a lot. Um, You see, God does not conscript people to serve him. He doesn't force us to give things to him He wants willing hearts, hearts that are glad to be part of what he is doing. And who were the people who were the most willing? They were the ones who had experienced God's grace. So by now, these are the people who have survived the golden calf debacle, people who have turned back and repented and experienced forgiveness, and oh, that makes you willing to serve God. That makes you willing to give. If you have tasted God's grace, your heart will be changed and you will want to give to the Lord. You will be willing to give anything to Him. The people were so willing, we see in Exodus 35 that they just kept bringing stuff day after day and it was heaping up and finally Moses said, stop, stop, don't bring any more. We have enough. It's amazing what God can do with a willing heart. And if you've experienced God's grace, your heart will be willing. This week I had the opportunity to go sit at Martha's kitchen for lunch on Thursday and I just sat down at a table with a, a man I had never met before, and he was confiding in me and and sharing his story about how broken his life was, how how many mistakes he had made, and I I just did what I could to, to share Jesus with him, to point him in that direction, and to assure him that his story was not over, and that he he could make different choices with God's help. But all I could think of during that meeting was, wow, when Jesus gets a hold of this guy, he is going to be on fire for the Lord. Because he, he knows how much he needs. And when, when God transforms his life, he will be like surrendering it all. Lord, Lord how can I not give you everything for what you've done? The most well-endowed churches around us will die if hearts have not been changed by the grace of God. And the poorest churches will thrive with willing laborers, willing servants. So I have a question for you at this point. What are you willing to offer to God Paul says in Second Corinthians nine verse seven, "Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver." That's the first thing we need is willingness. Here's number two, The second. We need skill. We need skill. Another key word that pops up in these chapters is the word skill. Look at 35, verse verse 10 to start. All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything that the Lord has commanded. And verse 25, every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun All the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. And then uh, chapter 36, verses 1 and 2. Actually, let's go back. Chapter 35, verse 30. Um, So making the tabernacle and doing all these things required certain skills. How did God give skills to people for this? Chapter 35, verse 30. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts, And he has given both him and Aholiab, son of Ahissamach, the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work, as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and weavers, all of them skilled workers and designers." So Bezalel, Aholiab, and every skilled person whom the Lord has, gi- has given skill and ability to know how to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord has commanded. You see, this is, this is fascinating. The Holy Spirit um, gifts these two people, Bezalel and Aholiab, with supernatural skill and the ability to teach others. And so these skills are distributed throughout the people of God. Um, and they're able to do all the work that God has commanded them. Reading through these chapters is like walking through a construction site where you hear the chisels tapping, you smell the wood shavings, you hear the hammers pounding on the anvils, you see the gold leaf flashing in the sun, you see the, the looms at work. All of that took skill, right? And God had given the skills needed to do that work. Now, what about us? Does it take skill to do the work of building up the church, the body of Christ? You bet it does. And the skills that are required are far more than just carpentry and weaving, as important as those are. In fact, Jesus uses any and every gift that we have to build up his body. Some of those gifts were put in you at birth. You're just naturally good with kids or good with your hands or good teaching others. Some skills have been developed over time and some skills have been supernaturally given to you since your salvation by the Holy Spirit. And at least some of your skills have been taught to you by someone that God has given the ability to teach. You see? All of these gifts come from God, and God has deposited all the gifts that are needed for building up his church in the church. So we have the skills. We have the gifts that it takes to build up the body of Christ. Now, my job as a pastor is not to do the work of ministry, but Paul says in Ephesians, to build up the body of Christ for works of ministry. Sorry, I got that wrong. To equip the body of Christ for works of ministry. So I'm more like a Bezalel in this church where I'm helping you do the work of ministry. I'm helping you develop skills that you already have or that you're learning and surrendering those to Jesus. Now, there's plenty of things that we need done in the church. And uh, just for a few examples right now, we need we need people to work with kids during VBS. We need other people to learn how to run the live stream under Christian. We need uh, people to lead prayer. All kinds of stuff. But there's also gifts that you have that there's no like plug and play slot waiting for you but those gifts are still required there are gifts in this room that we don't even know we need until you start using them and oh what can god do in a church where people surrender their gifts and their skills to him no matter how flashy they are or how humble they are maybe your gift is cooking actually no we have a lot of gifted cooks in this church. Maybe it's compassion. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's hospitality. Maybe it's teaching kids. Maybe it's ministry to the elderly. There's so many gifts that are needed and so many gifts that we have. So what are your gifts? How are you using your gifts to build up the body of Christ? There is nothing more exciting then seeing people grow in Christ, seeing the church flourish, and thinking, I built that. I helped with that. So use your gifts. Okay, first, are you willing? Second, how are you gifted? The third thing we need is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Let me explain uh, what I mean and where I see that in this passage. One reason that the, uh, uh, the text seems, seems overly detailed and repetitive to us is this. God had said to Moses on the mountain, See that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. God had given Moses a set of verbal blueprints that were to be followed not just generally, but exactly, down to, the, down to the, the cubit, down to the span, down to the ounce for things how they should be made. It's like the, the blueprints we have uh, hanging up as you come into the church of our new septic system, Yahoo. That needs to be followed. The state will not like it if we just make modifications because they're cheaper or easier, Right? how much more important is it to do God's work to God's specifications? And so the reason that there's all this repetition is that it's showing the people did things exactly as God had commanded. And in fact, when we get to the end, in chapter 39, verse 42, we read this the Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Okay. Moses inspected the work and saw that they had done it just as the Lord had commanded. So Moses blessed them. Hmm. Can you imagine if they had gotten to the end and realized, oh no, we made the ark too small and now the tablets won't fit inside it. Or the, the curtains are too thin. Or... Uh, the priest's robe doesn't fit, and now God's not going to show up and be with us. <laughs> that would be a pretty big error. My father um, spent many years as a project manager for a large construction company, and uh, he told me the story of one of the jobs he did um, was building, helping build a stadium in New Hampshire where there was a lot of exposed steel beams, Now, it was a design-build job, so it was up to him and his team to figure out um, uh, what needed to be done to make that steel resistant to the weather. And the manufacturer recommended sandblasting it all in the shop, coating it with primer, and painting it. They said, or you could just wire brush it and paint it, and usually that works. Um, And so dad's the company he was working for decided to go the cheaper route and a couple of years after the stadium was done guess what the paint was peeling it was starting to rust and they spent a hundred and twenty grand to go back and fix each one of those steel beams the way it should have been done in the beginning now that's just an example of of how things need to be done to spec. How much more important, how much greater uh, outcome is at stake if the church does not follow God's word, if we are not faithful to do what God told us to do in the way he told us to do it. There are many churches, um, unfortunately, in the news where you see... um, A pastor has been accused of bullying or sexual misconduct or some kind of terrible behavior that should disqualify him from being a pastor. But people knew about it and looked the other way because, hey, he's filling the place on Sunday mornings, he's drawing crowds, he's raising money. That is not the way God commanded us to go about building the church. Right? Our job, likewise, is not to change the message so that people may like it more, right? Change the gospel. Our job is to faithfully preach the gospel and to do the ministry in the way God commanded us to do it. I've been, this spring, I've been feeling um, personally convicted that I don't spend enough time praying for our church, that any real work that is going to get done here is going to happen through God's power. Not through my wisdom or skill, not through money, not through programs, but through God's power. And so I've been spending more deliberate time each day praying for all of you. And I can only imagine what fruit will be born because of that. Because that's how God told us to do ministry, in dependence upon Him. So that's just an example. But I wonder if Jesus came today to inspect the work that we are doing to build His church, what would He say? Like Moses came and inspected all the tabernacle stuff and found that it was all up to code, so to speak? What would Jesus say if he inspected our Sunday school program, our small groups, the teaching ministry, the way we handle our finances, the way we we do life together as a church? Would he find that we are truly making disciples as he commanded, or are we just running programs? Would he find that um, we are we are depending on the Spirit as he told us, or are we depending on our own strength? Would he find that we are truly loving our neighbors and sharing the gospel, or are we keeping it to ourselves? We need to be faithful to do the work the way Jesus commanded us to do it. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe firmly that we are We are invited by God to be creative, to be adaptable, to be innovative in ministry, to reach our neighbors. But we need to do all of that within the guidelines of the book and of God's word. When God's people do God's work, God's way, we will see God's glory. So Exodus ends with God's glory filling the tabernacle, we also have this glorious goal in sight. Someday, when Jesus comes back, we will behold the, the body of Christ in all its fullness and diversity, the redeemed from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And it will be a wonder to behold, I think, far beyond anything we could imagine. We will see God's glory. I want to be able to say, I did that part right there. I helped that person come to Christ. I was with that person giving them comfort when their father died. I, I helped disciple that child. I gave money to that missionary so that that church could reach those people. I want to be a part of that. So, are you willing are you skilled? Can you be faithful? Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for the, the book of Exodus that has taught us so much. Thank you for uh, this morning that, that you have reminded us through your word uh, how to serve you. And I pray, Lord, that any any barriers there are in our hearts to serving you would be broken down. Any, uh, yeah, anything that is keeping us from being faithful, or or using our gifts for you, or being willing, would melt away. Whether it's fear, or discouragement, or jadedness, or um, uh, Uh, not being sure what we have to offer. Lord, empower us to use our gifts for you. And we pray that we would see the glorious uh, work that you do by your spirit in building the body of Christ. It's in his name we pray and ask these things. Amen.